0: Hello, and welcome to the Third Age Design Podcast, sharing essential information on senior environments. I'm Laurie pinkerton Roley. Last month, our special guest was Colin Milner from Victoria, Canada, and we're staying with the Canucks this month when I speak to Jonas Yonkin, an expert in co-housing. So if you're operating a retirement village or a care home, you might be mistaken for thinking this episode does not apply to you. But discussions on cohousing are taking place everywhere at the moment and this may very soon represent a serious competition for you in the market or might even be something you'd like to look at in further detail for your own offers. What is the model and what is required by way of facilities? Is this truly a new lifestyle in senior living? And we're going to go to the United States in follow-up to information given to us a couple months back from our guest, Melinda Avilatorio, who introduced us to the WellZesta Group. And I'm going to be speaking with Kyle Robinson, partner and co-founder of WellZesta, about their unique contributions to senior living in this month's Innovation Spotlight. Writer Isaac Asimov is quoted as saying, your assumptions are your windows on the world scrub them off every once in a while or the light won't come in i'm going to pause just for a second because that is really worth some real thought what are our assumptions about senior living the financial aspects the physical aspects emotional what about the intellectual aspects Well, if you're ready to let some light in, that's why Third Age Design is here to learn from international experts and challenge the status quo. In short, to improve senior environments by sharing essential information. Just go to www.thirdage.design and tap on the join us button. And when you do, you'll automatically receive a quarterly a tad extra, which is exclusive information for our community members. And there's no cost to join. The Third Age Design Podcast is supported by ANOVA Care Concepts, whose mission is to enhance quality of life through innovation. From hydrotherapy pools to furniture, you'll find quality, aesthetics, and functionality in all unique ANOVA products. ANOVA Care Concepts, the leading edge of healthcare. Okay, let's get started so my guest today is jonas jonkind or jonas jonking but would you pronounce it correctly for us please
1: the first one jonas jonkind
0: thank you very much and can you give me a little bit of a background uh in terms of how you got engaged with the co-housing movement to begin with
1: uh yeah well I didn't know about cohousing, but my brother was at a personal wellness course. And afterwards, a bunch of the alumni went there for a fundraiser um, for the Saskatchewan farmer who was battling Monsanto and needed legal costs. They had a, a music concert there. So I went there and uh, right away when I came into the building, it just felt different because they really had a lot of community there so for me it just started with that that feeling of reconnecting with the idea or the feeling of community
0: right and is that at the i'm probably going to mispronounce this as well but windsong ah well i that was I at windsong
1: that, co-housing
0: that's what i can pronounce but the other one is nanaimo 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 okay and that is a specific development in canada isn't it
1: yeah so windsong was the first co-housing i lived in and it was in langley Okay. Uh, Winsong was a lot of fun. There was a lot of kids there. It's slightly larger than the one in Nanaimo. And um, we had a lot of parties and a lot of, just a lot of good little conversations on the community street. Uh, when I moved in, I had young children. And I connected with some other parents. Uh, my wife and I were going through a little bit of postpartum depression, which, I don't know, puts a pressure cooker on one's life. So we had to sort out that as well.
0: And when you say the community street, uh, I know this is sort of part of the overall setup from what I've, the research I've done, but can you describe the basic uh, setup of a co-housing community?
1: So co-housing communities, um, legally, they're just regular condos or apartments, but the Building design is different. That's the thing that makes co housing magic. So, like a lot of co ops and communes and everything else like that in the 70s and 80s. And co housing seems to be the thing that's really succeeding. And the reason for that is legally, it's all the usual financing and stuff. But socially, the architecture is really working to help. And I kind of think of it, it's like when you have a guitar and you leave the guitar out, you can pick it up anytime you want and play. It's just because you're seeing it all the time, you're reminded of it. So in a co-housing community, every time you come out of your home, you kind of come onto this pedestrian community street that you use to visit your neighbors or go to your car and go somewhere else. But lots of times on the community street, there might be kids playing or other neighbors there that you can just bump into and chat with. And that i think is really what creates that community these little check-ins with people how are they doing and from there other things can grow
0: it sounds like the sort of community that i grew up in as a child in northwestern united states where we used to play in the street not very many cars would come down and everybody knew everybody else and and knew the neighbors is this a different way of achieving achieving that sort of community spirit
1: I think a lot of people have like childhood memories of the world being more like it is in cohousing. And ultimately, I don't think that cohousing is really creating that much new. It's just a way of recreating what people already had. And the one other thing that we have in cohousing that I didn't mention in addition to the community street is when we're, the future residents design the project and usually they spend some time thinking about like, what else can we share and benefit from? So they will typically create uh, like a, a wood shop, a dining area, a guest room and a lounge. And like the wood shop is just so you can maintain the project for the handy guys. And the guest room is, I live, I've live, i lived in three co-housings and I'm in a third one now and I still have friends from the other co-housing. So they'll call me up. I'm on the island. It's an attractive place to spend the weekend. So they'll call me up and say, how about we come over for the weekend? I got a friend coming in two days, Joyce she's doing this. So she says, this is the guest room available on such and such a night. And then I can just book her into it. I think we charge $10, no, $15 a night. It's a very small fee. And then she comes, she can use the common house for dining and eating. We get together, we play Mahjong and do our thing. And then she also can explore around Naimo and do her things. So it's a real great way to host guests that I might not quite host in my home, but it's really fun that she can come visit and we can have some time, her and her partner.
0: So you said there's so there's a community street, and you said from there you can go to your car. So does that mean the community street is pedestrianized?
1: Yeah, the community street is just pedestrianized. That really is why you can connect with your neighbors. Like in in Canada right now, we have a lot of townhome developments, and you like walk out the door of your townhome, and they're like all, all you see is car car gourd, you know, the garage doors. And that's it, because everyone just like drives out and goes on your way. So there really is no way to know your neighbors. And a lot of time when I talk to people who are interested in co-housing, um, they might only know like one or two or three of their immediate neighbors. And co-housing is sized based on how many people people typically can know. It's like um, anthropologists or something figured out that you can only have so many people. So for that reason, co-housing communities are like 60 to hundred people which is usually works out to be around 30-ish homes. So that way everyone in a co-housing, like if you asked anyone in my co-housing, they'll all know everyone else in the co-housing.
0: So you said you have a community house as well, and and you you mentioned a restaurant. What else is in that sort of main facility, or am I not understanding this correctly? So in each co-housing, we
1: have what we call the common house. And the common house will have like a a kitchen, just a little bit larger than your average kitchen. They'll have a dining room where we can do community dinners. In co-housings we try and do like four or five community dinners a week. A and week. The it, wow. Oh yeah. Well, if you do one community dinner, everyone's going to show up, and then you'll have like right. people there. <laughs> it's a bloody nightmare. But if you do them five <laughs> nights a week, then maybe fifteen or twenty people will show up, and that's just a decent-sized dinner party. So logistically, it's better to run more smaller events, less noise, easier to clean up on. So, so we use the kitchen and dining room for the community events. And then afterwards, you know, people are cleaning up. So some of the adults will tend to slide over to the lounge where there's, you know, usually comfy couches and things like that to carry on their conversation, just a few people. And then some of the kids might head outside or they may drift over to the playroom, which is usually like a rumpus room for big activities. And yeah, no, then no, this can be a multi-purpose room, a shop, a music room, a craft room, whatever that community decides that they want to have in their common spaces.
0: So they collectively, the group gets together and says, what do we want in this community? What is it going to cost? How do we build it? What are exactly. we putting in? Is, that, is exactly. that the background of it? And one of the biggest failures that we're finding kind of around the world in terms of senior living is loneliness and the depression that comes with that. And a lot of older people move to care homes or retirement communities or things where they're surrounded more by people their own age um, with sort of care built in. How do seniors tend to fare in co-housing communities in your experience?
1: Yeah, so uh, so I've read some research, someone was studying this and they figured that uh, that co-housing could add sort of 10 productive years to your life. So I think especially for men, when men sometimes retire, they've been stimulated at work, they've got a social network at work. And um, as you retire, all that stuff starts to fade away. And uh, some people did some studies and they showed that your social health, um, which they define in a complicated way, but basically it has to do with how many people would you be comfortable asking for money or something like that. Um, that has as so much impact on your health as smoking, drinking, exercise and diet. And and I think for a lot of people, they're not getting those social health needs met maybe at a critical time in their life, too. Um, Cause a lot of that can automatically be taken care of by work. And um, right. I've known a few men, especially who retire and then they just end up, you know, just pushing the lawnmower around. I think that's not a good social environment. There can be a lot of TV involved in that. And um, I saw some studies online that show that like when that happens, the, the IQ of men after they retire can
0: plummet quite a bit in those first few years. How interesting did not know, did not hear about that. That's very interesting. I'll well, make sure make sure you links. Yeah, make
1: sure you fact check me. But that's what I remember reading. I remember being surprised by that someone could measure it and how significant it was.
0: I will. We will look into that. And if we, we're finding some links on that, we'll put that related to this podcast episode, so people can can look into that uh, further. Are the people that are elderly within any of these communities? Are they sort of? treated the same as as everybody else are they treated like elders of a you know tribe would be treated how are there is there any difference in the relationship and how they interact with the rest of the community as opposed to people of other ages
1: um yeah that's uh absolutely people in different age groups are treated differently and interact differently so the kids are treated like kids people who are sort of working age they spend a lot of time at work And they tend to be like sort of doing a lot more if you will in in their lives and around the community and uh, the elders tend to be well they have more time to enjoy community Uh, they tend to contribute a lot to the community in terms of like gardening landscaping committee work Uh, they tend to contribute a lot to the community in terms of you know experience and wisdom like here in pacific gardens one of my neighbors francis uh she saw me going through some stuff with one of my teenagers and she just had some resources that she shared with me because it's kind of like in a way an extended family so in these ways in these ways elders in the community are are contributing and participating in different ways and there's also like i think a little bit of tensions too because um Sometimes the elders want different, slightly different things, mm-hmm. and uh, they're very aware of it. They know what all the young whippersnappers are up to, and how <laughs> uh, they got their ideas about how things should be done. <laughs> and uh, we usually keep a few things like a little bit taboo as well. Like, for example, uh, we sort of have some, some semi-unspoken rule that we try not to give anyone else parenting advice, for example.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So you've you've got these sort of community spaces. Is there any real, real separation between community and the private? And the reason I'm mentioning this is going back to my own childhood when we we all knew the neighbors you know in the way that we were speaking about before we also used to leave our doors open now i'm not i'm not spreading this worldwide so people can start walking in your houses but we used you know if you needed something and the neighbor wasn't home you would go in and get it and then you would tell them that you'd borrowed that i mean it was just kind of nobody locked a door unless you were going away is it is it that open or is it private housing and shared and shared spaces Well,
1: the the private housing is definitely
0: private housing
1: in in all ways that housing is private. And there's definitely four neighbors that I would feel perfectly comfortable walking to their house when they weren't home and getting the eggs that I'm missing.
0: Right. Okay. And then
1: sending them a text afterwards, raise your fridge, took some eggs.
0: Right. Okay. So a a true community. I mean, when you've been involved in the building of these um, communities, What have you learned about the master planning of the site um, in terms of the overall footprint that you might need for a community of that size or specific needs of specific buildings, i.e. if someone was thinking, this is something I'd like to look into more, where do I start? What sort of uh, decisions need to be made from a construction building standpoint quite early on?
1: well that's a really big question
0: Um, that's why i'm here (laughs) if someone was starting
1: out and they wanted a co-housing yeah i think the first thing to do is to get together you need the hardest part for all the co-housings i'm working with some other another co-housing group here in nanaimo to organize one the hardest part for co-housing groups is to is to find those burning souls who are willing to purchase the land to create a co-housing because the first thing you need to do is buy a piece of land that will probably be something like two acres if it's more rural or one acre if it's more urban where you're going to build the houses and that can take quite a bit of money and faith to do so in the 9 i'm helping uh, i'm creating a co-housing because i just purchased the land and then networked around to find the burning souls to be in the project because i think it's such a great way of lifestyle but it's hard for the projects to get started right and once you have the site then you got to work with an architect who knows about co-housing to come up with the design obviously an architect will know all about fire codes and how to build community streets and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and then even later on then you hire a builder to build with the architect design for the most part after you're done with the architect it's basically just perfectly normal construction if that makes any sense like the bathrooms will likely be uh convertible or whatever the partially accessible version
0: yes yes i understand but
1: all all this stuff is pretty normal in construction nowadays though
0: you make collective decisions about for example this communal space needs to be refurbished or upgraded or something that would be something that the whole community would discuss and and become a sort of financial project yeah um so
1: in a regular strata they spend a lot of time on on managing the stratum most co-housings my experience is that we got like one little committee could be called accounting and legal or something that does all of the regular administration stuff and the community tends to be focused on you know how can we make our building more beautiful what are we doing with the gardens what are we doing about social events Uh, maybe talking about causes related to social responsibility um, meeting the needs of residents like what's happening with people is anyone needing support so that tends to dominate the agenda that would otherwise be dominated by um, you know accounting and legal type stuff right so co-houses yeah. spend a lot of time thinking about how to beautify the spaces and oftentimes it can be a community project to paint a room right. I was mentioning I was mentioning a lot of the, the the elders help a lot with projects so right now there's some elders uh, painting the music room here at Pacific Gardens and some other rooms they've been working on it for a few months one by one.
0: Not Room by room, not one person by one person, presumably. Yeah, room, room by
1: room. There's, I think it's all community. I think there's like five people in on the project in total and they just bite it off little bits. One takes the light switches off and another one paints around them. Right. Or, that's the cutting, I think they call it. And then someone else rolls and then someone else cleans up.
0: And, and then the guy done. comes
1: along and puts the furniture back. So it's a team effort for sure.
0: But you have a you have a, a especially if you're an older person, you're commu- you you're with the community and you're you're participating. For anybody that doesn't know the phrase strata, as it refers to co housing, can you just explain that? Because I I'd read that term and I hadn't seen it before. Oh yeah,
1: that's um. In, in in Canada, in Ontario, they call them condominium associations. In BC, they call them strata associations. And in the US, they call them homeowner associations. Right. So it's all the same. It's just a way of owning multifamily property.
0: And when you're working with the architects and you don't know whose uh, people are obviously engaged at the beginning in the building of it, they may be engaged in the building of their own private uh, residence, In terms of community spaces, how much are disabilities or the needs of the elderly taken into account in the design of those facilities?
1: Well, there's two flavors of co-housing. So one is called senior co-housing and one is multi-generational co-housing. And in Canada, multi-generational is quite a bit more popular, Mm -hmm. Um, but in Europe, especially in Denmark, senior co-housing is doing very well as well. And I think it's an attitude thing, because to think about seniors co-housing, you've got to be like a hyper-responsible kind of person who's planning ahead proactively. Um, So when seniors co-housing, they'll often plan in like a suite in the common house that's fully accessible so that people can use that suite if they need it. Or often what they'll do in the seniors co-housing is they'll rent that suite out to someone in exchange for just a few services. they could get like a student nurse or someone rent that space out to them and then get just a little bit of help because there's a lot of people who just need a tiny bit of help to be able to live a normal life and the belief in senior co-housing is that the people in that community can support each other a little bit and they can uh, carpool a little bit on getting some of the help so that it's cost effective and this way they can sort of live in the co-housing rather than moving into you know independent living is what we call it in Canada, which is basically not independent living. Um, So that's a way that it's done in the multi-generational co-housing. I mean, you you know, the spaces are all accessible to people with various mobility issues, but I'd say there's less of an emphasis on that. So there is like a tiny bit of an, an unspoken culture that we sort of help, help, help the elders out a little bit when we're younger with like moving the heavy things or whatever it is, with the understanding that some future generation is going to pay it forward. I hope that makes any sense. It
0: absolutely does. (laughs) It'll, it'll come back. (laughs) It'll Um, come back. In in your opinion, what is the singular best advantage about co-housing for senior people?
1: In my opinion, the singular best advantage for co-housing for senior people is to just have a community of people that's supporting you to solve the same just to be connected with and solve the problems of life together and i think that if you have to like go out and visit someone or call them on the phone it's just a lot more complicated but if you're just in regular communication with someone the little things that are happening you can get support around and i think also the seniors contribute a lot to the co-housing here they run events They run the birthday things, they do birthday cards, they keep up with who needs little bits of support. And I think it really enriches everyone's life that they're sort of watching over the community in the way that they are.
0: So it's truly integrated all the way around regardless of age. Absolutely. It sounds fantastic, it really does. Very intriguing, I very much appreciate your uh your input on this topic
1: yeah i personally couldn't imagine living another way than co-housing i've lived in the single family houses and the apartments and and it's fine and a lot of people feel like it gives them all the privacy they need and they're concerned about being too close to the neighbors in the strata and i think for some people that's true but i think for most people there actually is a lot of benefit just to being connected with a tribe of people i think humans sort of evolved in this tribal village way whatever you want to call it and I think it's just there in the human brain. And if there isn't enough people around filling out your tribe, I think the brain is just like worried. It's like, there should be more people in my tribe. You know, even if you don't know it, but the brain is looking for people in the tribe. And cohousing for me just fills that gap that I didn't, didn't know was there. So I always feel very, part of me that I didn't know was unsatisfied is very satisfied when I'm in cohousing.
0: That's lovely. Thank you so much. As I mentioned earlier, WellZesta came up in our um, original discussion with Melinda Avillatorio of THW Design in Atlanta, Georgia. And today I'm joined by WellZesta partner and co-founder Kyle Robinson. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
2: Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for all that you're doing in this space and glad to be part of it today. Thank
0: you. So you've been in the senior living sector for quite some time now before founding Wellzesta. What made you decide to go in this particular direction and what spurred the, the growth of this particular company?
2: I've always had a propensity towards being around senior adults. I grew up in this industry. My dad owned a consulting firm for 40 years in this space. And so I was around uh, this industry my entire life and ended up going to school and graduate school um, in gerontology and health communication. So I was sort of, um, I guess, called to do it, if you will, and loved working with communities across the country, working with senior adults, the residents, the members, and of course, the staff as well. But really, after spending many years in this space, um, I left for a few years and went to work for a big four accounting firm, which was great. I learned a lot, but I wanted to spread my wings a little bit more and kept seeing that there was an opportunity um, that we wasn't being met in the industry and said, if I can come back and bring something to the table, that's what we want to do. Uh, In the meantime, I happened to meet um, a brilliant young man who is now our CEO, uh, Dr. John Robinson. And he does happen to be my husband. Never thought that would happen. But uh, we work really well together and really brought our two minds together. He is a physician scientist by training. So really an MD, PhD came at the problem opportunity through healthcare, and I was seeing it through the lens of senior living, yet we both knew technology and knew that we could build a team of um, you know, developers to create something that was really meaningful. So we really saw an opportunity, started doing some research with communities that we knew across the country, and started asking the right questions, and it definitely bubbled up that there was a way to... Really do better Um, rather than being so capricious about uh, doing something new. We needed to help these organizations be more proactive and more progressive as it related to health, well-being, communication and what we call engagement. So you started asking
0: questions before you started coming up necessarily with with the answers. It sounds like, but also you've come up with this uh, theory. I saw a short video of you uh, talking about the four H's. Um, right. I think that was a club in the United States when I was growing up. If I'm not mistaken, <laughs> what do you mean by four
2: H's? Yeah, right. I think there is a, a a club and it relates to something in in um, agriculture. Which yes. Is great. But the four H's to us, I uh, also, when people who did not know anything about the quote senior living industry, I would best describe it as well, it's, it's the best of four H's. It offers uh, healthcare, which people want and need. It offers housing, so there's a whole real estate component to, to it. It offers a lot of hospitality, so services oh. and amenities and things like that. And then really, the fourth H that wasn't really rising to the top, but to me is so important uh, to the work that's being done, was holistic wellness and to be able to see, okay, we're going to try things before they happen so what we actually ended up doing was creating an electronic wellness record system that kind of complements what you would find in an electronic health record system but those four h's really are um, every time you go on a campus you you can feel those and some of them showcase one h more pre more prevalently right. than other and some are evenly spread and some you know have one that really shines if you will
0: it's interesting because i've never actually heard the word hospitality in Mm -hmm. connection with this sector and obviously Mm -hmm. once you say it it's very obvious Mm -hmm. but but it's not an immediate Association certainly, that I have had before, so that in and of mm-hmm. itself is is quite a lot to um, to think about and I know um, uh, your your business partner and husband is a scientist and you have this sort of scientific background which is gives you a lot of depth in what it is you're putting forward that we really don't see uh with other providers or that i i haven't that are offering s- sort of software packages so for example you i downloaded one of your white papers i think that was the first time you and i had been in contact with each other and it was called addressing depression the silent killer among seniors um uh, it was written by two doctors and it looks as if you do a lot of continuous research. Is that, is that correct? It's not you're not getting answers and then producing the research. It looks like you're generating it. Is that correct?
2: Well, uh, yes, our clients are generating it. And then we are pulling that information. One of our goals going into this was to be uh, an an influencer thought leader in this industry, not based on what we were really doing, but what we were seeing, what we were hearing and what we were collecting. So, for example, uh, we knew that you could get to better outcomes if you were collecting the right information. We also did not want the staff to guess what it was because they're out there working <laughs> yeah. every, every single day. And, and we wanted to hear directly from the residents and the members. And so part of what the software does is it allows for that. It allows for very strong bi-directional communication. Um, so that way, I'll give you an example. So let's just say I live at a community and I attend a um, Tai Chi class that day. Typically in this industry, they would do a survey and it would be a year-long survey. They would do it one time, you know, and they might ask questions, but I I personally can't remember necessarily what all I did last month and why it was important. But if you ask somebody right after they have uh, either, you know, taken part in something like Tai Chi, we ask the question, did you attend? Yes, no. Was it uh, one to five stars? What did you think about the event? And then we always ask the question on a scale of one to five, how did it benefit your health and well-being? And the reason why that's so important is because the individual is telling the community what's working for them instead Mm -hmm. of us guessing. Uh, in generally when people move into communities historically it was kind of blanket every you know it was all the same programming and services no matter what age or whatever you liked and then you just went to what you uh, you know preferred in this case we're trying to help provide enough data and analytics that helps with personalization. Because in today's world, you know, what works for one person may not work for another. And oftentimes people um, at the community level are serving maybe two, maybe three generations that are very different in their thinking and what their needs are. And having that data on hand uh, is very helpful. And it's really coming very easily from the individual. So you're not having to go out and really search for it. It's just kind of um, coming through and how they're answering questions or what they're gravitating to within the platform,
0: and it also must make them feel uh, a, a personal set of responsibility and engagement with the community. One would imagine, um, and that that their opinion matters. If you're only asking them once a year, they're right. showing up. They're not showing up. It it feels as if it 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 may not you know particularly matter. But we're going through this exercise of asking you every now and then. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm participating in what I want within my environment is a very uh, engaging um, response.
2: It, it, you must ask it. You know, they, these this is their home. Uh, people move there, usually number one for lifestyle, and then they have all these other things as, as part if they don't move t- too late, quote. Um, and so being able to have them live their lives in just a different, you're just in a different community, a different environment, but still really say, this: these are my needs. These are my wants. Here's how I want to participate. And what you find is that when people's voices are heard, they're much more likely to, number one, buy into whatever is happening at the work community. Number two, they want to participate more. And number three, their level of daily and weekly engagement increases. And we do measure things like this, um, mostly to help the staff to be able to see where they where they are. And so we'll measure things like, Daily engagement. Um, and to my knowledge, with a platform like ours, we have the highest daily engagement in the country. We have an average age of eighty four years old that uses this platform and a daily engagement rate of seventy eight percent. Wow, and yeah, most people do say wow to that because um it's it's really strong. If you're using paper, of course, you can't measure it very well. If you're using a portal of any kind, it's usually 25 to maybe 40%. Um, Other platforms, you know, may have may go up a little bit, but we work really hard to increase engagement. And we have many different ways that we do that.
0: Kyle, it seems like you already have a program for staff also. How does that work? and, And what are the benefits of that?
2: Yeah, great question. So we actually started this um the the, the platform we've been speaking of um is called WellZesta Life and the during COVID what we saw was you know, staff need even more support than ever before because they're overworked and stressed and and, and all these kind of um, things that are in a difficult, you know, a difficult time. And so part of our goal, we also work in the home care space. So work with people who go into people's homes um, and our we have a platform for the caregivers there. And what we were seeing was they were leveraging the platform to stay connected to one another to be almost like a support group. We also provide health and wellness content for them that they could maybe read about a healthy recipe when they get off work. Maybe they could do an exercise with one of their um, people they're giving care to that day. They see there's humor on there. They get their messages directly from their team. So what we did was basically we took that same code base and made it applicable for the staff at senior living organizations, and that's called Wellzest to Elevate, because we 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 know how hard it is right now to, um, first of all, to attract and keep innovative and good and great uh, staff and teams. Yeah, but part of um, what we wanted to offer was a personalized workforce engagement platform that also encompassed wellness as a piece of it, that almost that was almost the drive to get them in there. Or some people are driven by just getting the messages that they need every day in a way that you and I are used to on our phones typically. Uh, so most of them do use it on their phones and also that they could have communication among whatever group they work in. So the dining staff can communicate, the um, the nursing staff can communicate, mm-hmm. uh, HR staff can communicate. Um, And then, if you have a large organization, you know, the same kind of branding can go down from maybe corporate that if they're trying out a new program or something, and everybody's hearing that same consistent messaging daily or, you know, however often they're opening the platform. Um, But it allows them to feel like, Hey, this was built for me. So it's an it's an engagement. Are you are you looking
0: to branch out internationally? Are you staying within the states? How would anybody that's listening to the podcast? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you and, and look into this further?
2: Sure, absolutely. Well, we already have. Um. We have an international team that works with us, so we're already sort of geared that way. We have international people um, on our team in Brazil, Costa Rica, Ireland, um, and, of course, across the United States as well. So we already have that propensity. Our CEO has deep roots, um, grew up in Japan, has a culture uh, and people, influencers there, as well as different places in Europe, um, like France. So we already have kind of thought this through um, mm-hmm. and would like to go in that direction. I think timing, like everything in life, timing is key. And so to do it at the right time, but you know, there's so much that you can do virtually uh, today that I think you can, you can make it work really almost anywhere in the country. We certainly have made virtual work. I will put one caveat caveat on that in that, um, in order to have really, really strong experiences, what we call our client with our client partners, which are the communities themselves and the staff that work there, seeing them from time to time definitely mm-hmm. is a, is a benefit. Um, we also do on-site training. Uh, that's been a big um, differentiator for us for kind of stickiness of um, the product, getting it off the ground in the right way. And so, you know, that would just mean a little longer travel, but we're happy for that. We have, you know, frequent flyer miles and, you know, bags we'll, we'll pack and go.
0: Thank you, Kyle. We're going to put a link to the website on the podcast page for this, uh, episode and, um, uh, any listeners can uh, follow up directly with, with Wellzesta.
2: Okay, great. Yeah, the probably the best way to get in touch is to go to the website, well, dot com. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. I appreciate the time and thanks for all that you're doing in this space as well.
0: That was a very full episode. So just time for a quick look at our TAD International Events Calendar. The Care Show 2022 is at the National Exhibition Center in Birmingham, England from the 12th to the 13th of October. And if you're going, please do drop by the unique VR hub for care, developed specifically for the show by Third Age Design. The ICAA Conference Leadership Summit and Expo is in Orlando, Florida, USA, from the 8th to the 10th of November. And the Future of Aging 2022 conference will take place at the Welcome Collection in London, England on November the 24th. I'm going to all three of those events myself, so hope to see you there. You'll find more international shows and conferences on the events page at thirdage.design and let us know via the contact page if you'd like an event listed. Thank you to our special guest, Jonas Jonkin, to Kyle Robinson of Wellzesta to our producer, Mike Scales, to Valerie Adler of The Right Website, to Peter Thorne, who composed our theme music and is playing the piano with Mary Blanchard on flute, and to our sponsor, Care Concepts, the leading edge of healthcare. And finally to you, thank you so much for being part of a community who believes we can improve senior environments together. I'm Laurie Pinkerton-Rolle, and I hope you'll join me for the next one.